Good afternoon. Welcome to the panel. Uh, NZ National, Joe McCarroll and Michael Moynihan with me uh, on your Friday afternoon. Now your Friday afternoon traffic update. update. Uh, a crash is blocking lanes on State Highway 1 near Waby Ro- Valley Road in Wellsford. And in Auckland, it's slow northbound on the Southern Motorway after the Bombay on-ramp after some emergency works, road works closed one lane. So do take care out there this afternoon. Uh, look, uh, quite a response regarding uh, Joe McCarroll's I've been thinking I am sitting at my work-from-home desk wearing two thick layers of wool and a scarf on top, my legs swaddled in thick polar fleece. Tuesday, I was also wearing a beanie, a second scarf and fingerless gloves. Absolutely true. This is home offices of frosty places. Or maybe it's that I'm sitting still for too long. That's what we talked about, didn't we? Mm. So my blood is circulating only slowly, says Truist in Wellington. Uh, Wallace, to Joe about being cold even in your office, I bought an Udi. It's a plush double-layered oversized blanket that goes to your knees with a hood and sleeves. Perfect for... (laughs) Not laughing at... No, uh, no, I'm I'm laughing, but also it's in my cart now. I'm buying. (laughs) Uh, It costs about 100 bucks. It feels like a warm hug, says Ali. I can't recommend it. I'm just saying it because it could be a a solution. Yeah. Uh, It's a solution for so many mm. things in my life. Also, I think think we should all see a photo of that, I think. I think quite a part solution, please. I'll buy one. I'll wear it next time I'm on the panel. And we'll pop on Twitter. Wallace, I don't usually have the power turned on this time of day and live away from phone reception, but always listen to the show, so I am making up for lost time with my comment. So thanks for getting in touch. To this first, a coalition of more than 300 lawyers are taking legal action against the Climate Change Commission uh, for not taking urgent enough action with its roadmap for cutting emissions. Last month, the Climate Change Commission released its final report laying out the proposal for the country to become carbon neutral. Among the report's recommendations are that nearly all cars imported by 2035 must be electric vehicles, phasing out coal and setting a farm emission carbon pricing scheme. Lawyers for Climate Action NZ say the recommendations fail to address the scale and the urgency of the task and are inconsistent with international agreements. Now, I talked to Dr. Mike Joy on the day the report came out who said we need to face the reality that we really need World War III-style changes. And I replied that that sort of language has the capacity to frighten people. I think the reality is really, really frightening, Wallace, and we kind of kid ourselves. I know that it's human nature to do that. We don't want to face up to the reality. But this is coming at us really, really fast. We're seeing all of the signs that everything's happening faster than what any of the projections were. So we do have to take this far more seriously than what we are. With us to discuss that is uh, Emeritus Professor Ralph Sims, sustainable energy and climate mitigation expert at Massey University. Professor Sims, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace, and hi, Joe. Hi, Michael. Kia ora. Kia ora. N- nice to have you on. So just to the scale and the pace, what do you make of the lawyer's concerns here, Ralph? Well, uh, first of all, I know Mike Joy well, and after hearing him on your panel, I did um, communicate with him because oh. um, 
I, I think he's correct, but we've also got to make sure that everybody realises there is hope and there is a solution, mm. but we've all got to act on it fast. So it's uh, not quite World War Three yet, but it might be if we don't action it, which is yeah. what the lawyers for climate action are effectively saying, that the um, Climate Change Commission's done a good job but hasn't pushed hard enough, and it, it has to match the Paris Climate Agreement that we've signed up for and, and all to stay below this 1.5 degrees centigrade temperature rise which has been accepted and is New Zealand doing its share for that and so if I could just explain that in, in brief terms yes. we've got a nationally determined contribution as have 160 countries in the world from the Paris Agreement saying what we think we can do to reduce our emissions and our one is to reduce CO2 by half by 2030 um, sorry no by 11 percent below 1990 by 2030 and, and we were criticized at the time for being weak if you add all the national determined contributions together from the Paris climate agreement there is a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions but nowhere near enough and if every country does what it says then we'll go towards three degrees or four degrees temperature rise not anywhere near the 1.5 so at the next meeting of the International uh, Meeting Conference of Parties, as it's called, all countries are being asked to do more than what they said they would do in Paris. And that includes New Zealand and Minister James Shaw will be there. And the Climate Change Commission has given some advice of what he might say in order that we can do more than what we said we would do before. But they're arguing it's still not enough and we've got to push harder and faster. Right, well, let's jump, jump into our panellists uh, and their views, their thoughts. Questions, Joe. Uh, well, I guess I'd be interested to know what, what you responded, Professor Shaw, when someone says to you, well, New Zealand's so small, which is just the thing that I see again and again and again, people saying New Zealand's a tiny place, our carbon emissions are tiny when you look at the world, and so the individual actions we are taking will not in the end be anything but a drop in an ocean. Yeah, well, that's a common... Com I'm, I'm, I'm Professor Sims, it's Minister Shaw, but that's besides oh, sorry. the point. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I was, I was, um, I was giving you a so, ministerial responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the point, the point is we are a small country, but per capita, we are one of the highest emitters in the world per person. Australia, United States, about 20 tonnes per person per year. New Zealand, including agricultural emissions, about 16 tonnes. China, about 6 tonnes. India, about one ton. So this has to be done on a per person basis, not country by country. So it's a nonsense of a statement to say we're too small to matter. What do you think, Michael? Um, I, I, I wanted some... Uh, from listening to the various news reports this morning, the bit that interested me about this was the context the lawyers brought to it, which said the Commission had baked in political reality to their advice before they gave their advice, rather than, as they would argue, provide the advice which aligns with our Paris Accord requirements and anything else, or to get to the... And I wondered, is th that's the bit that worried me. I kind of thought, well, that feels like you're only ever going to get a Commission to give you something that is doable, rather than what I would have thought its job was which was to tell us what we needed to do and then the politicians work out what you can do and what's reality and what will be acceptable. Is that, is that fair, um, 
Do you yeah, think... That, that would be the ideal in, in the ideal world. I'll give you one example, perhaps, that uh, the um, lawyers for climate action are thinking about. There's different ways of measuring emissions. There's gross emissions and there's net emissions. Gross emissions are all the emissions we put out from every car or cow or whatever. That's the total. But then they get reduced by the forests that we've planted after 1990, mm. and that becomes the net emissions. So what the government has done in the past is said we had so many gross emissions in 2010, say 80 million tonnes as a round figure, and the net emissions at that time were about 50 million tonnes because the forest had soaked up 30 million tonnes different. And so they, the argument then is the gross emissions from 80 million tonnes 2010 will reduce to, say, 60 million tonnes of net emissions by 2030. So that's changing gross emissions to net. And what the argument is for, from the lawyers is that we should be using the net to net emissions. How, how, how much were the net emissions in 2010? 50 million tonnes, compared with what they're going to be possibly in 2030, which actually could be 60 million tonnes mm. oh. going up. So the point, the argument being that if you're a politician, you can juggle these numbers yeah. and make it sound good, but as an independent commission, maybe they shouldn't be um, falling well, into that trap. I, I guess that was my question, and I don't know the answer to it. So when I hear from a commission, I'm expecting that to be unbiased evidence or unbiased advice that gives a perspective that I wouldn't get because I hadn't collected all the data and I hadn't gone and asked everybody. That's no, that, that, what that, I was I, expecting I, to have right, happen okay. from that. Yeah. But hey. I have to add as well that it is hugely complex because there oh, are course. different accounting methods which we use for the IPCC, which I'm involved with, or we use to use for our nationally determined contribution. So therefore, it is a sort of confusing situation with how you measure these uh, emissions, mm. and, and that's where the issue needs resolving, hey. and that's what the lawyers are trying to do. Ralph, I just wondered from your sort of wide experience of the situation, is there a country that you think is doing a good job of kind of the comms around climate change? The, you know, the, the, the individual engagement on this? Oh, well, um, there's several in Europe, but um, Sweden springs to mind because they put a carbon price in maybe 25 years ago, and as a result, they've reduced their emissions hugely. The carbon price now is about 250 New Zealand dollars a tonne, whereas ours is about $40 a tonne. Yeah. And that's made a huge difference, and everybody in Sweden understands what they're supposed to do. They're still not perfect. They've still got to reduce by a greater amount. But they did get political buy-in at that time to put a very significant carbon price in. It'd be, and, um, yeah, it'd be great if we took some of those ideas on board right. in New Zealand. And, and just to follow up on that, Joe, that we really do have to communicate what this problem is better than what we've done. I've said this before, I think, Wallace, that education, we need a COVID-19 type campaign, full page adverts to explain how serious it is, what we can do, how we can all reduce our carbon footprints. And, and then we start to get political buy-in because it's very hard for any politician to try and reduce emissions when people simply don't want to change. Right, so there's, there's actually a lot more that can be done uh, in the communication sort of education sphere, right? Uh, <coughs> Professor Ralph Sims, thank you again for your time. Appreciate it.
that's Professor Sims from the Sustainable Energy and Climate Mitigation uh, Centre at uh, Massey University. 18 past four. Now, there are calls for the CEOs of Facebook, Google, TikTok and Twitter to, quote, urgently prioritise the safety of women on their platforms. As the New York Times reports, more than 200 prominent women from around the world including actors, journalists, musicians and former government leaders, have written an open letter demanding change. They write that the scale of the problem is huge, saying 38% of women globally have directly experienced online abuse. And that figure is even higher for Gen Zs Zs and millennials. With us to discuss is Wellington City Councillor Rebecca Matthews, who's spoken out before on this issue. Uh, Rebecca, welcome to the panel. Thank you. What do you make of this letter? Uh, well, I think it's a good thing. I think that uh, we've got to get beyond, you know, fixing harm where it occurs on social media and maybe taking steps to ensure that there's an environment where harm is less likely to happen. So, and especially when I think my daughter's 15, you mm. know, all of the stories we've heard about, you know, young girls lately and, and receiving a lot of kind of online abuse, really keen to, to see a, a better environment. Yeah, uh, I mean, Rebecca, you have spoken out and, and earlier about, as I said, about your experiences. For example, I mean, you experienced a death threat online before. I did, and I think that, you know, it's really interesting. When you get a death threat, that's pretty clear. You know what to do. <laughs> you go to the police, and, you know, you report the tweet. And, and that serious stuff, I do think the platforms are getting a bit better at dealing with. All right. But it's it's sort of the micro-aggressions in a way that it has a cumulative effect, I think. So it's when it's not as clear-cut, it's just a horrible comment. Yeah, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll get uh, John Michael to jump in very, very soon. But uh, I think that we had you on some months ago, a year or so ago, and that was in the con- context of being a person in, uh, in, in the public sphere as a counsellor. And it's quite true, isn't it, women as counsellors, uh, and I think that Penny Hulse, for example, wrote about this as well. Uh, c- quite extraordinary mm. abuse directed at you. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's one thing to sort of debate the argument, and we're going to have positions that not everybody agrees with. But it's then when the comment is, goes quickly to, yeah, but you're fat and ugly, or you know, some sort of personal abuse. And I have to say, I'm very liberal with the with the blocking and the muting. I just don't see that it's a part of my job that I should have to put up with this kind of harassment. Mm, Joe McCarroll. Yeah, I mean, I um, I'm interested in in what you're what you're saying there, Rebecca. But I suppose I would almost say, um, we're not really talking about microaggressions. I mean, I'm I'm a journalist, which and and don't have what I would consider to be a high public profile, but but especially when I was doing a different kind of journalism, which was more about sort of entertainment and writing like that, um, I would get comments quite a lot. And that was long enough ago that, you know, it was a bit more difficult to be a troll. I mean, I've been a journalist so long, my original trolls had to use the post, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know... I mean, they can't do it stone <laughs> and threw it at you. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think that thing where that's sort of the, the this you know, tattered banner of free speech is being used. And, you know, the the culture of a lot of the internet, especially some of those um, social media platforms which, you know, amplify user-generated content, you know, there's things like sort of the, the videos that promote violence or sexual violence or things like... Um, you know, revenge porn or, or rape porn. You know, it, it's mm. it's way beyond um, a microaggression. And I'm absolutely 
I mean, I'm a, it's sort of one of those things that when you think about it, you feel like you, you know, you've suddenly regained sight after a period of being blind because you think this actually is so not okay. Mm. You know, when you think of how quick they are to act around copyright and, you know, IP interests, it is absolutely shocking that those social media yeah. um, companies have not developed tools you can use to trace IP addresses, absolutely. to block, to report, to recognise mm. a systemic attack as opposed to an individual comment. Because those tools, they cannot be more difficult than some of the tools they use to enforce yeah, copyright. Yeah, yeah. Michael, what's your thoughts oh, on questions? Yeah, I mean, in, in the letter it says, you know, the uh, social... Network environment is the is the town hall of the um, of the twenty um, first century. Twenty first century, yeah. and, you, and you, would not, you cannot imagine that they would not have managed the town hall or the uh, the village square or the um, uh, any of those kinds of platforms where people got together and had their say. This, I, I, I'm a big believer in the value of free speech and would want to do nothing. But what we're doing is normalising. A, a set of behaviours, and you, Joe, and you, councillor, are sort of saying, look, it's kind of par for the course. Well, it can't be par for the course. We can't allow this it to carry on. It radically shouldn't be par for the course. And I think your point, Michael, that these you know, social media companies are often keen to disassociate the impact they are having on broader culture. And, and, and that is clear, I let, think, in so many Shall I bring ways. Rebecca back into it? I'm just Sorry, picking Rebecca. up on... No, 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 just picking up on what Michael said, Rebecca, because the, the, the paragraph does go on to say that this town hall now, these digital town hall squares are unsafe and it's a threat to progress on gender equality. Absolutely. How do you, how do you see the future uh, as a person with, as you say, your 15-year-old going into the going into the next uh, 15 years and actually yeah. being part of that town square? I think that, you know, I, I think it's terrible that we've let it go this long. And, you know, these, these platforms have become a big part of our life and it has been set with a culture that people say things that they would never say mm. if, you know, and that imbalance, I think, between, especially if you're a journalist or a politician or, you know, and it's our name, our face, our job is all out there. And these people who, you know, it's a silly image and a bunch of numbers are threatening and harassing and intimidating, I think is, you know, really, it, we do need to demand more of these providers. And I, I think that, you know, the, as I say, the town hall meeting, you wouldn't, it would be controlled. It you know, would be controlled. The, the, the yeah. proprietor of that town hall meeting, the organiser of that town hall meeting would have to take responsibility for how it was ordered and how it was managed and how people got to have their say and everybody had an input. But, and that's not what's happening. Well, I mean, the online dynamic just immediately removes any yeah. kind of face-to-face -face mm. empathy and just amplifies... Um, the, the the worst of us mm, and makes the best me so of angry. us. Oh, Rebecca, kia ora, uh, for that. Thank you for joining us. Uh, that's Rebecca Matthews, uh, Wellington City Councillor. I'd be interested in your response to that. 26 minutes past four. Now, should there be an age restriction on smartphone users? In an interview with the New Zealand Herald, Hugh Van Kulenberg from the Resilience Projects posits that our addiction, this is a quote, our addiction to phones and devices is destroying what it is to be human. So he goes so far to suggest, and this is probably a sort of a Friday afternoon thought, mm. he acknowledges that while it sounds outrageous, smartphone use should be banned until the age of 18. He says they should be treated like cigarettes, 
life's too important to actually give smartphones to anyone under 18 around the panel. I, I tell you what, that's going to get the 16-year-olds to the polls, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's going to come out. Definitely want a boat then. <laughs> what do you think? Look, I think um, I think it is a simplistic idea and more of a thought starter than something we could really roll out. But I would absolutely say that that I find myself phones are and screens and that the sort of death scrolling it's shockingly addictive and and I absolutely um agree that you know the version of happiness that is being presented to us in that context is not a way to achieve any kind of contentment or 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 mental well-being would you agree with that 2101 smartphones to be banned for those under 18 and michael he goes on to say look the devices are so damaging the impact they have on mental health smartphones are literally killing kids through compare and despair and bullying we should treat phones like cigarettes because they're not good for us uh, I feel so sorry for today's kids, and I believe that we will look back one day and see the impact phones have had, and someone will owe us an apology. So, you know, quite strong words, but is there, some, is there, is there, is there something in there? Oh, look, there's definitely somewhere something in there, but I am reminded it's a piece of technology, right? It's not actual. It's what sits behind the technology, which is the thing, which is the danger. So when we were all sitting, when everybody in England or London was in a coffee shop in the 18th century with the new broadsheet newspapers and and, and this was the new technology and they were uh, absorbing the gossip and uh, looking at bad behaviours and doing all of that. It was a scandal and there was um, an outcry to say we've got to ban this technology because it's undermining the way in which we uh, undertake polite society. So you say technology is neutral? No, I'm not saying... Well, I, well, uh, yes, technology is definitely neutral, but the way in which it's applied is not necessarily neutral, and I don't disagree with him. I think that everything he says that is the woe is definitely available through that technology. The trouble is that just simply banning another piece of technology doesn't mean a different technology is not going to come along or that, in fact, it gets to the heart of what the last conversation sort of described, which is the culture that says, well, in fact, that technology is going to send you down a pathway to be bullied. Um, That's not... That's the bit that worries me. And that's the bit we have to tackle rather than simply burning. Yeah, I I agree with Michael completely. And also, I think it's not the technology that will lead you down that path. It is, in fact, the culture behind it. Mm. Someone says, Monique says, I definitely agree. Smartphones are handy, but also an addictive menace to our relationships and our well-being. Uh, Another one, great idea, but sadly unenforceable. Uh, so there's a little bit of uh, support for the better. As you say, it's more just a really uh, a, a thought idea, right? Eh? It's never going to happen, and well, you know, neither should it, really. Television was going to destroy the, the way in which we interacted with our right, families. Right. Telephones were going to stop, you know. Rock you've and got roll to be, was a moral... Yeah, you've got to be careful <laughs> that, you don't, uh, that you don't take the technology as the only as, as the cause of the symptom. The symptom is what exists. Right. Uh, Anna in Wellington says, Wallace, this many, lack of meaningful climate change action is, for me, terrifying. I'm a mum of two, and I want my kids to have a decent future. If we need World War Three-style actions, then let's... let's blah, bleeping do it. For example, <laughs> I think that everyone should have an annual CO2 emission allocation, including, say, only so many flights per year or fewer years. 
Yeah, That's yeah. That's an interesting concept, it isn't it? It is an it? interesting concept. Mm-hmm. My father was a great one for trying to teach us lessons, and particularly lessons about money. And some, one year he decided he'd give us our entire allowance in one lump in January, and it just showed my brother, who's always prudent, had it doled out for every week to the end of the year. My sister had spent the entire amount on lollies in the first hour, and I was somewhere in the middle. So, yes, if I had a carbon... Um, if I allocation. had a, if I had a carbon allocation, you know, maybe I would. That'd be, that'd maybe I would do something quite deliberate about how I re- respond. So you've got to a that. smartphone app, you've got a yearly allocation, yeah. and you can, it's like a bank balance. But what would happen when you ran out? Would it lock you in a cupboard, or would it um, stop you? Walking would it make everywhere, you, riding would it stop your, bike, your car, <laughs> eating uh, your vegetarian food. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I guess that's a very interesting idea, but I just wonder how you would enforce it yeah, or yeah. monitor it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Joe McCarroll, Michael Monaghan, with me on the panel this Friday afternoon. And it's time for Headlines.